0: Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. The Hale Varsity Yearbook, the 2019 Hale Varsity Yearbook, has shipped. It's on its way to people's mailboxes, PO boxes, front front doorsteps, dogs, mouse, whatever you want, to, whatever whatever your mail comes to. It's on its way. Uh, and this week, we get to say the three greatest words in niche Nebraska podcasting vogues is here brandon what's up man
1: hey how are you i don't know that that seems like uh overselling it quite a bit but but i'll take it i appreciate the flattery derek
0: yeah always vogues i was gonna say (laughs) vogues is on the line and then i was like nope that's four words don't say that so we'll workshop it we'll figure out a way to get it in there um it's been a while man what's new
1: uh not not a whole lot. I, I went to Maine last week for, for a couple of days away. So so that was good. Um well I guess the big thing that's new is the yearbook is officially here. It is officially landed um and is on its way to people. So so that's always an exciting time for all of us. But yeah, those are kind of the two big things for me over the past couple of weeks, I guess.
0: Yeah, I got my yearbook yesterday. I picked it up yesterday. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. Um, I picked mine up yesterday. They are uh, on their way out to other people. You'll be getting yours soon. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but it, the, the first thing I kind of want to talk to you about is just it's just sort of a, if you've got something that you hate and you want to rant on it for a second, I'll give you the opportunity to rant on it. I'm kind of curious. We're in like the absolute dead period. So there is nothing going on sports-wise right now. Everything is in the off season, And, and football, we've got like a month left before we really start getting into football stuff. Uh, coaches are taking vacations people are out of town i mean we are in the in the heart of off-season dumb debates what is your least favorite off-season talking point that happens and it can be college football it can be whatever but what is what is the thing you hate seeing the most that comes up year after year after year
1: yeah um it, it might be body type slash size discussions um you know, it, this is always big, bigger, better, faster, stronger season. Yep. Like no team has ever has ever gotten worse. No team has ever. No one has ever said, "Man, the guys look a lot smaller this summer. I, I think we're in trouble." Uh, it's always the opposite way. And, and, You know, and I get it. Like there are some guys where you legitimately notice it. You kind of, kind of can't help yourself. Um, but in terms of the actual meaningfulness of those those kind of observations. I've never found them to to have that, that great of an impact. By the time you actually get into fall and you're like, oh, it's just about playing football again, um, w- what the guy looked like after I hadn't seen him for a couple of months really isn't relevant most of the time. So so I'd put that at the top of my list.
0: That's probably my least favorite question that gets asked of these players is how much weight have you gained? And once we get back, I mean, like that happens in spring ball and that happens once we get into like the early stages of fall camp as we're walking around asking 18, 19, 20 year old kids, hey, how much weight did you gain in the offseason? Like, in what other juncture of life would that be a socially acceptable question to ask someone? <laughs>
1: None. Um, you know, and a lot of times, like, Mick, Mick Stoltenberg talked about this, I remember a lot, a lot last fall. Is like, so he was a guy who put on, put on a bunch of weight. Um, and he basically did it so he could, like, withstand the losses he knew he was going to have during the season. Um, it's kind of like, well, put it on now when we can, because you do so much more when you've got practice every day and a game every week that it's, it's going to come off. So it's just, it's, it's one of those strange things where <laughs> you're talking about a guy's body type. And, and like you said, it, it gets uncomfortable pretty quickly.
0: So my my least favorite thing is like preseason polls and, and award watch lists. So the watch list thing is just like, are, do you want to be on the John Mackey tight end watch list? Do you have a pulse? All right, cool. You're on it. Those things to me are like, they, they seem very insignificant, but the, the preseason polls, I hate them. I don't think we should have a poll in college football until we get to like week four or five. And I will take this to my grave because, so I have made notes every year since 2012, that's as far back as I've gone. There's been a team that's been in the top 10 of the preseason poll that finished the season unranked. Wisconsin was number four last year, unranked. Florida State was number three the year before, unranked. Notre Dame was 10 the year before, unranked. Auburn was six the year before, unranked. Oklahoma was four in 2014, unranked. South Carolina was six in 2013, unranked. They were actually a top 10 team in the preseason poll in back to back years and finished unranked in both of those seasons. And then in 2012, the big one, USC was number one in the preseason poll ahead of Alabama, and they finished seven and six and finished unranked. These things are dumb. And I hate them. And I think <laughs> it's like, it, it's the, the, I mean, I know how they operate. It's who is the biggest name? Do they have pieces that we like? Are they uh, in, enticing and intriguing enough of a team to where we're, we're going to be talking about them early and often? Cool. They're ranked in the top 25. Nebraska is going to get preseason top 25 ranking, and there's going to be a lot of people that feel like they shouldn't. And maybe it's a little too early for that, and they would have to prove something because, you know, 8 and 16 in the last two seasons. But I just think these polls, um, they, they, I think they have a, a negative impact on some of the other teams that don't have the name recognition that are going to start out their season strong, that are going to be really good teams that are going to have to fight. I mean, I think back to Boise State all those years before they really established themselves as like, that group of five team. Like they were they were having to you know, we'd get into week seven, eight and nine before they really started to make their way up. And by that time they don't have they don't have a chance to play for a national championship. They don't have a chance to play for a playoff. You really have to be in the top fifteen preseason if you wanna with this current structure, if you wanna be in the playoff. And that's kind of the, the reality that we're at.
1: Yeah, so are you, are you talking about like primarily the two polls that quote unquote matter in the AP and the coaches even though neither of them really matter now it's just the the playoff ranking which which doesn't happen in preseason are you talking about all preseason rankings
0: I'm talking about the the big ones that come out that we put on sites that everybody publishes like hey you know team x is is ranked here so like
1: yep. I mean I probably shouldn't hate
0: them because for us it's content and we need as much content as we can get but at the same time it's like those early ones where you know, we make a big deal out of where each team is ranked, and the ones that go on, you know, like television broadcasts for each individual games. Those are the ones that I have problems with.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky one because there's there's so many other preseason rankings out there. I mean, we sort of see it with the Big Ten and Media Days, right? Where they they don't put out a preseason poll for within the conference. So Cleveland.com does it, and that's just, everyone just uses that one. Um, so. You know, when you're looking at it from the AP and coaches poll perspective, it's kind of like, well, if we don't do it, people are just, you know, they've got to put a number next to a name on the bottom line from somewhere. Uh, might as well be ours. But but I do think there is a danger here in that it, it does shape perception of teams unfairly when we know very little about them. So, you know, you, you beat Wisconsin in – so BYU beat Wisconsin in, what, week three last year, and it was a, a top ten win, certainly, because Wisconsin was undefeated end of the year. Yeah. It was a win over eight and five Wisconsin team, you know, and, and Frost has talked about that too, about how that, that shapes perception. And there's a, tr- there's a trickle down to the next year. So, you know, if you're ranked at the end of the year before, you're probably going to be ranked at the start of the next year. It, it does become kind of a, a, a sticky mess pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And I, and I really like S and I I don't know if, if uh, Bill is taking that with him or what's going on with that and I know you like FPI and those those are um a little bit more rooted in in fact than just okay do I like this team is it a name brand and but but I mean you can get so like SNP projected Minnesota to fare pretty well this season and it shocked a lot of people Minnesota would never show up in a preseason top 25
1: and, you know, say they do go on to have that season. Now, now, granted, if they go, you know, 11-1 or something like that, no problem. But say they're 9-3 and three or something, they're going to have to, you know, catch depending on who they beat and who they lose, they're going to have to catch up a little bit to starting the season unranked. Um, it's just a, a hurdle you have to climb. So when you're already meant it as, yeah, we think you're the 20th best team in the country, and if you just hang right there, well, then you'll, you'll just be that. Um, but it's, it's hard to come from 38th to 20th. There's some extra hurdles you have to clear, I guess, is the best way to put it.
0: It's a lot like speaking into existence. Heisman Lamar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Hale Varsity staff has, has done a lot of work internally to, to make that happen. <laughs> I'll
0: say that. I'm looking forward to Chris Walsh's Heisman campaign for Lamar Jackson. All the, the social <laughs> graphics and the videos. That might be a thing that we might have to do. We may have to, yeah. Speaking into existence. I want to talk to you about the yearbook. So this is our this is our one hundredth issue. You've you've been around through the whole thing. I, I kinda wanna start with your thoughts on this magazine and the growth that you've seen uh, and the changes that have been made and, and kind of just um we'll just we'll just start there.
1: Yeah, so I, I started with with Hale Varsity in 2012 for, for the very first issue. And I was working mostly on, on the website at that time, uh, and, and kind of dropped into the magazine to, to help Mike and Aaron Babcock out at the time, uh, as, as they needed it. And to the point now where kind of my primary duty is, is making sure we get the magazine out and kind of thinking about it conceptually and what we want to try and do. I think we've, you know, we've made a bunch of, cosmetic changes over the years you know some pretty small the magazine still feels like the same magazine i think it's the first one we put out but i think we've kind of as, as we've gone through changes to the publishing schedule you know it, it seems insane but th- that first season we put out a magazine a week like after every after every football game we we put out a, a magazine um which was is crazy i don't know how in the heck we did that now but it was kind of the model for for this kind of publication then and you know and now and now we're monthly and i really as someone who values printed product who still subscribes to a bunch of magazines uh, i guess this all makes me sound pretty old but um which isn't inaccurate either um (laughs) being monthly i think just allows us to kind of expand our storytelling capabilities um And one of the things that I really like about this year's yearbook is I think it's the best version of that yet. So, when you look at the story you were able to do, uh, the story Aaron Sorensen did following Adrian Martinez for a day, Mike with a story on a boxing match between two Huskers in 1971 that we were able to, to illustrate. um, You know, it's it's just we're finally getting closer and closer to that point where you get that yearbook now and you pick it up and it's going to take you a while to get through it. Like there's, there's a lot of meat in there. And I think that's, that's something that's unique in the market for,
0: for Nebraska coverage. Yeah. It's, um, and I don't, you know, this can get into like tuning our own horn, which I don't necessarily want people to take it as, but I think this is, I think this is a really big deal. And I think that this particular book um, is, is I I hope something people really enjoy because just going through the editing process and reading through the stories you know the, those things get designed, kind of one at a time. They're big. They're big processes for for Quentin to undergo our designer, and um, so we're kind of, I'm kind of reading the the stories as they're designed. So w- one at a time, really. And and I read Mike's first, and I was like, oh my god, I didn't even know this was happening. This is this is awesome. The illustrations are great. Um, the storytelling is great. Mike Mike as a storyteller is so good. Um, yeah. Very very underrated. And, um, and and then you know your story. Um, and then we've got a, a story from Greg, and we've got a story from from Aaron, and I, you know I I just think I I think this was a this is my favorite thing to work on since I've been here it was two years uh two years now it was, it's my favorite thing that I've worked on and you've worked on a lot more than I have I mean does it does this is this up there for you too
1: yeah it 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 is um and I'm and I'm kind of being the person that I am who kind of looks at these things, like, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the off season, every off season is better than the one before it. And uh, you know, it just always escalates. You do have trouble kind of testing or trusting those statements sometimes, but this, this is the best magazine I think we've done. Um, It's the one I'm, I'm proudest of. And it's because of, those stories, you know, the the back part of the book, I think we've, we've hit on a pretty good formula for, for how we preview Nebraska position by position, how we use photography has, has really been a strength of the magazine from, from day one, I think. Um, and then the opponent previews, you know, spend a lot of time on those trying to give people at least a little something different, give them enough of what they expect, you know, returning starters, like what were some of the stats, but, but give them a little bit more, than, than what you might find in the pages of, of the big national publications where you just want to know like a little bit about Minnesota because you know, it's a big game for the Huskers this year. So the difference for me was, was really what we were able to do in that that front half and the stories we were able to tell. And, it, and it's really energized me kind of going forward to, okay, if, we should, if that's the top level that I think we've reached, like, okay, what are we going to do next? And, and I think it, it should help us have a lot of confidence going forward too, to continue to pursue those things.
0: Day by day, my guy. There you go. Issue by issue. Issue by issue. <laughs> What's the favorite thing? You, you've been around for a while. What's the favorite thing that you've covered for Hill Varsity?
1: Um, let's see. The <laughs> Up until kickoff, the, the 2012 Big Ten Championship game, like the day before being in Indianapolis, and, you know, you've just kind of got the standard, like there's both coaches at a 10-minute press conference and, you know, they take a photo of them holding their helmet. And all, the, all that standard kind of stuff. But, like, the buzz around Nebraska at that point, like being in Indianapolis, they were playing a Wisconsin team that was 8-4, and four, I think. And the whole Bo era had been, well, they got close twice in the Big 12, couldn't get there, came into the Big Ten with some momentum. And I just remember kind of the feeling around that, um, up until that point. <laughs> and then the game started and it was the worst massacre I've ever seen uh, on a football field in person. So to go from those two things where you're just like, you had the buzz, you're like, we're going to cover a championship game. It's going to be great. And then it was over immediately. Um, that, that certainly sticks out. It was probably the most memorable. Uh, maybe not the most enjoyable. I haven't covered. So I went to the volleyball final four, Two seasons ago, the in-between season, the season in between the uh, national championships, um, which probably, you know, Jake is better at volleyball than I am anyway, so he got to cover the two national championships. But otherwise, those would probably be up there because high-level volleyball is pretty tough to beat too.
0: Yeah, you guys sent me to the Final Four last year, and, and that was the first time I'd ever seen a volleyball match in person, and that was something special. Um, I'd watch it on TV. Like, whenever we go on trips, you always have it on the TV. And, and so I'd watched it on TV, but I'd never seen it in person. And that was, like you said, high level volleyball is is, is something special. The quickness of the game, the pace of the game, uh, just the the ability. You can't. And, and I was afraid. I I was absolutely terrified to look down at my laptop or to look down at my notes for more than like a second or two because I was convinced that we were I was going to get hit in the face with a ball. And we were sitting like right along courtside.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you get there for those for those big events where they put you basically. You know, courtside, like like they do for the NCAA tournament, you know, when you see all their reporters that you kind of recognize from Twitter, you're like, oh, there's that person at this regional. With volleyball, I mean, there are numerous instances. But they, those can be laptop destroyers. Like, it is way more dangerous, I think, than the 6-8. Well, it's not more dangerous. It's more common than the 6-8 uh, power forward flying into your lap. That could also damage your laptop. But volleyball, you got to keep your head off level.
0: I've always wondered what it's like to sit, we're getting off on a crazy side, but I've always wondered what it's like to, to be sitting at one of those courtside seats at a, like an NBA game and, you know, a, like you just said, a six eight forward comes crashing into you. I've always wondered what that would feel like. <laughs> Is that weird? Not great. Um,
1: no, I mean, I, I understand the curiosity, um, I guess. It's nothing I want to experience. I do kind of wonder, like, how bad would it be now that you mention it? So, no, not yeah. weird. You converted me.
0: Okay, cool. It's one of those things where I'm like, would this hurt? Would it just be like, oh, you're, like, sweaty and uncomfortable now? Would it be like you've had a drink spilled all over you? Like, what would be the sensation? Maybe that's a weird thing to wonder about. But I wonder about weird weird things. So, uh, there's that. I'm going to try to steer us back on track a little bit. You, you mentioned the... Uh, the Wisconsin game, the Big Twelve or the Big Ten—not Big Twelve—the Big Ten championship game in in 2012 that wasn't really a championship game. Um, that that feeling, I kind of have experienced that similar feeling at a couple of games that I covered when I was in school. Um, I, I'm kind of curious. Do you think we're going to get that this year?
1: Could I for think? Any uh, game? I think. Yeah. Well, I I think that Ohio State game is going to be you know be a pretty electric atmosphere if if everything goes as, as we think it might for both teams right now, um, that'll, that'll rank up there with sort of the best, I think, regular season games. There's, there's still just, and you know, better, better than I do, probably cause you got the chance at Oklahoma to cover probably some more of those, those bigger games in the, in the post um, But Like I think back to the Peace Bowl where I went down when UCF was in that game, um, that was, you know, a, a big atmosphere, it's probably still not quite as big as a conference championship game, just because you know exactly what's on the line. Um, so if you're asking me if I think Nebraska could get to Indy, yeah, I do. I, I really think they could. Um, I don't know if I would predict it at this point. Uh, I think I, I, well, I know I have Wisconsin ahead of Nebraska in terms of my big 10 West power rankings, but Nebraska's second. So you're it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an issue year in the West, which would you know, said numerous times over over the offseason, uh, a lot of things could happen there. But Nebraska getting to Indianapolis is, is one of those options.
0: You might as well just go out on a limb now because Aaron Sorensen has already said 10 wins and Adrian in New York for the Heisman.
1: So if I predict Nebraska to go to Indianapolis, does that unlock his his invitation to... New York, because I know hers was somewhat conditional.
0: Yeah, hers hers was absolutely conditional. Hers was if they get ten wins, he's going to New York City, and, and I keep trying to make it. Nope, Aaron has predicted ten wins, and he's in New York City. But it, I, I mean, I think that's a very interesting question. That's a really interesting topic to me. Is 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 there a number, a win total, um, that Nebraska has to hit for him to be in the Heisman, or can it be? I mean, does he have? like the raw potential and and the ability in this offense to do sort of like what Tim Tebow did when Tebow won his Heisman was, you know, that team was like seven and five, I think. And he won it anyway because he was unstoppable. Um, I mean, I think, I think everybody thinks Adrian's going to be really, really good. Is he going to be really, really good this season? I don't know. But if he has a really, really good year, like is there a, a win total that Nebraska has to hit for him to be an actual legitimate candidate? Or are people just excited about him enough to where if he has a really good season, it might not matter if Nebraska's, you know, seven to five or eight and four, like people expect.
1: Yeah, I think I might be wrong. Um, but I think the year Lamar Jackson won it, Louisville was maybe nine and four. So eight and four regular season, um, perhaps, or maybe somewhere around there. But like his, his numbers were insane. So you either have to like be so sky high numbers wise um, or you have to be very good on a very good team. And, and I think there's probably an argument to make that Nebraska is going to need Adrian Martinez more, and that his numbers might be higher than Clemson needs uh, Trevor Lawrence, or Alabama needs Tua. Now, like, those guys are going to put up great numbers because they're, they're surrounded by great players, and they're great themselves. But if you're talking about kind of definer points of, of differentiating that, yeah, I could see Adrian Mar- Martinez putting up the biggest numbers of, of that group just because, well, Nebraska's probably going to need him to. Uh, a lot of it depends on on what the offense is capable of as a whole, about.
0: I think that's a good way of looking at it. To answer your question, Louisville was 8-4 and four in the regular season and then lost their bowl game. So they finished 8-5 yeah. and five the year he won it.
1: Yeah. And he had something like over 50 combined touchdowns, I think, like, you're you're getting way up there to to win it at that level, and he came in, you know, as, as one of the leaders and like never disappointed and had a ton of highlight
0: plays. Yeah, yeah, that, he had 3,600 yards passing, 27 touchdowns, and then 1,600 yards rushing and eight more touch, eighteen more touchdowns on the ground. So, <laughs> yeah, that's getting it done. <laughs> uh, in, in 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 true um, off season fashion, let's do dumb debates. I, I published a, well, I wrote, you guys published a seven things that I want changed about college football column over the weekend. Um, I want to ask you, I, I, w- I wanted you to come up with three things that you would want changed. But first, I want to get your thoughts on that piece that I wrote. And feel free to tear into me if you want. It's not going to hurt my feelings.
1: <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, one of them, one of them we kind of share, I think, some more on that to come. Uh, targeting rule. Fully on board with uh, another one. <laughs> I'm giving this away for you because you wrote it, and you may remember what order you went in. Another one we share. We get rid of punting. One perturbed me a little bit. I and as you know, I, I have crusaded against kickoffs in the past. Um, yeah, so that that's my piece of the, the kicking game that I'm willing to to go without. Um, I, I do wish teams went for it more. Punting is like. A whole so back when football started in like the mid eighteen hundreds, there are basically two versions of it, one that looked more like soccer and one that looked like more like rugby. Um, punting is kind of a vestige of that. And it does achieve something. Like you, you can trade field position. It's not sexy or fun. Uh, we make fun of Iowa for doing it too often, which is which is fun. Um, but neither here nor there. I I'm okay with punting. I think that's a weapon. I particularly like it. With the Australian invasion, you get the rugby punters who can kick with both feet. Like that stuff's all fun. I'm okay with punting. That's that's the only one I didn't uh, I didn't have or had some reservations about. Would you care to defend your point?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was pretty much the the consensus response was, dude, what the hell are you talking about? Um, the punting <laughs> thing. The punting thing to me is, you know, if if you. Because I, I read I read an SB nation piece that was like any team that punts loses one point, which in theory is kind of interesting if you got into a situation where you were losing a point every time you punted, it would literally change the 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 risk reward calculus of every single play. but you could get into a situation where a team has negative points for a game and I don't know how I don't I don't know how that works. I don't know I don't know how that would work. Um. So the the punting thing to me is I I think teams punt too frequently. I think teams are too conservative. I think I I think the field position thing to me. You know, and I kind of posed this on our forum was you you can go, like let's say you start uh, pinned back, you're you're pinned in your own territory. You start inside your ten ten yard line, and your first two plays are let's say you get an incompletion and then you get a sack and you're looking at, um, let's say, like, third and 17 from your, I don't know, five-yard line, like, if you can't punt, then what does that third down play call look like? Are you just trying to get some of that yardage back to set up a a huge fourth down? Or are you trying to go for the whole thing and potentially leaving yourself, you know, vulnerable to a a fourth and, you know, whatever it is inside your five-yard line? If you can punt, then you can kind of just say well we didn't we didn't accomplish our goal for this drive and you're 160 yard punt away from none of the mistakes that you just made mattering because you flipped field position and and you can come out if you can't punt then you're in a situation where you either get that fourth down conversion or the other team starts 5 yards away from a touchdown and your defense has to come out and make a game a potentially game-saving stand i just think that, that whole thing to me was all about ratcheting up the intensity and ratcheting up sort of the the, the play-to-play importance.
1: Yeah, it definitely ups the intensity. Because in the example you mentioned, you know, your third and 17 inside your five, or at your five, like your third down play is just a, a nothing play anyway. You're just trying to get out of there. So you hand it off, you know, on the inside zone, and you take your three yards and punt it away. So that's two plays out of, you know, that four-play series that were basically just dead nothing plays uh, yeah. and it does it, it does feel like a little bit of old school football still and you know as as we've grown in terms of statistically and people look more and more at kind of expected point values based on you know down and distance like anything like outside of your 20 um, it almost always makes more sense to go for it if, you, if you're willing to look at it that way and, and a lot of coaches aren't because they'll get judged too harshly for looking at it that way. But it's like this point in the exchange of field position, it's costing you, you know, it's making you this much more, this much more less likely. Boy, I butchered that twice now um, for, for your win probabilities um, than it would if you were just to go for it. And it's, we're not at a point to quite look at the game that way. So Ten years from now, we may we may return to this piece, Derek, and you may you may be needed as a visionary.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't hate kickers and I don't hate punters. That it's my brother was actually giving me a hard time about this. He's like, you know, it's called football, right? And I was like, yeah, but it's not the <laughs> original football. The original football is over in Europe, and they actually play with their feet. This was just named football. I don't I don't know why. So hey, maybe that's a fun offseason piece to think about. Why is it named football? Um, but like. Originally I was thinking okay just get rid of all kicking because what they're trying to do is they're trying to legislate out those those situations where one player is standing is stationary waiting for a ball to arrive and 11 other guys are sprinting at them with a full head of steam ready to knock their head off they're trying to get rid of that so that you're you're you know knocking down the, the injury probabilities for players but and and you sort of have that same situation on a punt but I don't know it's probably dumb what what are your three things
1: Um, so my first one, which I think you, you kind of hit on in part, and also earlier in this podcast, and you're talking about, about Boise state and preseason rankings, we need to stop treating group of five football, like, like a second class version of the sport. I hate it. I'm tired of it. It's ridiculous to me that these, these teams have virtually no path to, to the playoff. Like they just, people don't view it yes, I understand. It's, it's much more difficult to go undefeated. Not even much. It's more difficult to go undefeated in a power five conference than it is in the G5 conference. But that doesn't mean that Boise State wouldn't also be contending for division conference titles if it were in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the Big 12. You, you don't know. You can assume that based on strength schedule, but it's a big one. And to just write those off, um, it's I, it's never sat well with me, it never will, and I think the only way around it is you do expand the playoff to eight, and one of those eight spots goes to the G5 champion.
0: The thing, that, the thing that everybody likes to just kind of gloss over is TCU is in the Mountain West Conference, however many years ago they were, and they were going to a Rose Bowl and everybody was talking about, oh, well, if you put them in a Power Five, they're not going to do the same, and then they go to the Big 12, and TCU is still a powerhouse. They might not be going to a Rose Bowl year after year, but they're still a really good team. They're a team that nobody in the Big 12 likes to play, and they're a team that a couple years ago was a shared Big 12 title with Baylor away from being in the college football playoff. Like The the, the assumption that those teams can't compete with Power 5 teams is dumb.
1: Yeah, the, the, the only reason they can't is because we won't give them the opportunity to prove it. Um, And I understand, like, there's got to be more than five conferences, um, at least as the game is currently situated. And you're just going to have some conferences that are worse than the other ones. But to just blank, I mean, even calling them group of five versus power five kind of starts the problem right there. And I know I do it all the time. I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But I I, I love college football. I love all of it. I, I love to watch Nevada play Utah State just the same way that I like to watch Ohio state play Michigan at the end of the year. Um, and there's good football be playing being played in a lot of places. And it's just become too easy. I think for us to write off that, which happens outside of the power conferences.
0: what do you think about the, about promotion and relegation in, in conferences and setting up sort of a, a tiered system with the, the top five and then the rest of the teams, because like that thing that I wrote uh, a couple of weekends ago, you know, UAB, like an 11 and two UAB team under a system of promotion and relegation would be playing in the sec next season.
1: I I, I love it in theory. And I love it for a lot of sports because I love it in soccer where we actually have it and it happens. And it's, it's fantastic. I just don't, I don't think it's ever going to happen in America because it wasn't part of it from the start, the way it was with soccer. And so the idea of people for people of UCLA if it finishes last in the Pac-12, not being in the Pac-12 for a year, is just like too much to fathom. And even if it were to make the conference better for for that year, because you'd move up, say Boise or or San Diego State or somebody like that, it's um, it's it, it just seems too entrenched. So I like the idea in principle. I think it would be a ton of fun. I just don't. I don't think that's a hurdle we're ever going to clear.
0: Yeah, it it. I also, admittedly, have no idea how it would practically work, because you know you start talking about conference payouts, you start talking about all the money that's associated, and you start talking about TV deals, and and all. The, I have no idea how that side of the equation would work if you have teams that are that are are you maybe year in and year out switching, because like let's let's take Rutgers for example. If you dropped Rutgers out of the the Big Ten, would they be do you think they would still be a terrible team in, in and in a bottom of the barrel team in a lesser conference, or do you think there were, there's a chance that they could be um, sort of like those teams in, in the Premier League that you know they kind of flip flop between um, the yeah. top spot and the Champions League back and forth?
1: Yeah, <laughs> with what with Rutgers as it is right now, I'm not so confident that they would you know drop out of the Big Ten and then stay. You know, dominate uh, whatever kind of East Coast league they they fell into. They feel like one of those teams that could that could get relegated, and then keep keep falling down the the ladder a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part, you probably you probably have that. So you you know, you relegate UCLA, and they go down and they're in Mountain West for a year, and they win the Mountain West and they're right back up another year. That's probably what happens most of the time, but. You know, it'd be interesting because say Boise state was the one that replaced them Boise state that first year, I don't think is finishing last in the PAC 12. So that means they're going to move up. UCLA is going to come back and somebody else is going to have to drop out. So it, it would be interesting because then you would truly get kind of the meritocracy. Then you could really have a power five G five di- to divide uh, because everyone would be earning their spot in those power. Comps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, it and, probably have Oregon State would be that team that keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you'd have,
1: so you'd have those two on both coasts that would be relegated, maybe never to be seen again, Oregon State (laughs) and Rutgers.
0: What was Uh, your, your number two thing that you would change about college football?
1: Yeah, this one, this one's pretty minor, but we're getting to that time where we get into, Hey, here's, here's your week one preview. I don't want any more big neutral side games. Those don't do anything for me. Take off classic. Like every time I watch them, I'm like, this would just be better if it was at one of these school stadiums. I would rather see Michigan and play Alabama in Alabama or Alabama play at Michigan. I don't need to see Jerry World again. I can watch it every week on the NFL if I want to see it. It's a cool stadium. Like, and it, you know, it's it looks cool. It, it's fun. The games look great there. But college football is just such a great on-campus event that I think taking these things off-campus, it takes something away. So why, why, why do we need to do that? Let's just let's just put it, keep them at home. Uh, and obviously, things like Texas, Oklahoma, th- those things are exempt. Um, I'm just talking about the big ones. Like, hey, the Mercedes-Benz Dome is new. Let's let's go there.
0: Interesting. I'm not going to argue with you because um, I've seen a lot of expanded playoff proposals that include like quarterfinal games at school sites, and I think those would be incredibly fun. So. That's an interesting idea that I didn't even think of.
1: Yeah, I I am a big fan of home playoff games. You know, if you watched it, I remember watching Weber State last year uh in FCF's playoffs. And it was awesome. It was freezing cold. They lit, lit a bonfire like corner by the corner of the end zone. Everyone there was amped. It was like 4 degrees. It was, like home home playoff games are awesome. Um and it's good, Yeah, you know, that's a pretty big advantage for a team that's earned earned the higher seed.
0: What if you got like a a Central Florida, Michigan playoff quarterfinal game in the middle of December and, and Central Florida has to go play at Ann Arbor.
1: Yeah. That, that would be a
0: culture that, shock.
1: It would be a culture shock. It would be, I mean, you think about that perspective game of in terms of, Oh, well, this is the team we had to include because they expanded the playoff and people like Derek and Brandon made us give them a spot. Um, and now they have to go and prove it to prove it against a, a team in Michigan who, it's going to be cold, it's going to be ugly and dirty, and got to go do it. Um, everything about that seems great to me.
0: Yeah, that actually seems fantastic. Okay, what was your what was your third thing?
1: Yeah, the third one shared with shared with your list. We, we got to standardize conference games, and I think I think you just go to eight. Everyone plays eight conference games. It's a problem because Big Twelve doesn't have enough teams they got to figure our stuff out. But I think, and I I say eight instead of move everybody else up to nine. Um, I I like the chance for additional non-conference games. I like teams to have a little bit of control over what they do with those. So if everybody's at eight, at least it's fair that way. As it is now, you know, the conferences that play one more, beat each each other up more, and you go back to sort of the rankings problem. Well, you got a bunch of teams that have one additional loss, that's half of them, the teams that get the, the, the win in those games, get it over a team that doesn't look quite as good. It reflects in the rankings. It reflects in next year rankings. And it just becomes kind of a tough thing, particularly when you look at big 10 West, as kind of best case example. How do, how do we get to a point where the big 10 has three or four ranked teams from the division in, in the preseason? It's, it's going to be hard. Um, I think they've got that many teams who are good enough to be that this year. But they won't because it just kind of it's viewed as they beat each other up. So I'm a big, big proponent of let everyone play the same amount of conference games. You're never going to fix the conference strength thing and make it totally even, but at least you can make the the number of games they play the same.
0: So are you in favor of any kind of of regulations on what they can and can't do with their non-conference games? Like, do you want one game against uh, another like Power Five team in the non-conference? Like, do you? Do you just say it's open season, do what you want? Do you think like their team shouldn't be? I mean, because Clemson has played two FCS schools in the same season twice since Dabo Sweeney took over. Like, do you think that's a problem? Um, I think it it can be in the case of Clemson.
1: Like, Clemson's proven enough that yeah, we know they're 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 pretty good. So you could argue, well then, why do you, why are you playing these FCS teams? But as someone who enjoys FCS football, like those are an important part of kind of the ecosystem. Those teams need those games, and some of those teams are good. So, with non-conference, I don't think we need to to legislate what you can and can't do there yet. I think we're already starting to see with long-term scheduling that people see the need of if, hey, if we want to be a playoff program, we need to add some some games that people are going to notice in the non-conference. So, I think you can kind of let that work for itself, uh, at least for a little bit. And if we see that it becomes a problem after, you know, we've done all these things, we've expanded the playoff, we've made everybody play eight conference games and eight only. Then if you're still having a problem, yeah, maybe you can, you can put in some restrictions on, on what teams are able to do or what teams have to do. Uh, Could go that way too.
0: So you you just mentioned something and and I thought about including this in my seven things and I ultimately didn't, but I, I think we need to change the way that, that teams do non-conference scheduling. I think it needs to be more like college basketball where it's decided the year before as opposed to, wasn't it like Alabama that, that announced that they were playing, I think Texas, but the game isn't for like 10 years. Like that, like Texas could be not a school at that point. Like the world could be exploded by that point. Like 10 years from now, a lot can change 10 years from now. It, I, I was a little bit shocked that it was that far out, but also not really because it's like, hey, we scheduled a, a super duper non-conference game, but they don't have to worry about it for ten years, and Texas could, you know, theoretically fall off the map in ten years. I think it should be. I think it would be even more fun if we got those games decided like the year before. And I don't, I don't really know why they're not. Like, I guess could you explain to me? Is there a reason that? that college football has to schedule out those games so far in advance, whereas college basketball can decide them the year before?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard or seen a, a really good reason. It's one of those where it's, well, this is the way it is, so this is the way it has to be. Um, so now because you've got teams scheduling that far out, um, well, they don't have the openings to, to kind of do it a year away. What you'd have to do is like, be like, okay, everyone, stop. Like, stop scheduling games right now. (laughs) And some teams already have some scheduled, you know, in 2030, we're going to get to 2028 and then we're going to do a totally different scheduling thing because everyone's schedule at that point should be pretty much open. And then you could do that. And then you could really look at creating some high profile non-conference matchups. You know, the the schools would never go for it, but if you were to have, you know, like a central scheduling office, um, you know, Pro, the pro pro leagues have this because well it's one league and they're all going to play each other. They just got to work out the logistics. But like, what if your schedule is decided more similarly to the the NFL? I guess where you know they're looking at matchups. They're trying to create create good matchups and balance strength of schedule for everyone. Be pretty interesting. But like you said, because we do this the same thing where they're scheduled so far out. Um, you're kind of stuck, and it becomes hard to to make that change. You just have to basically stop negotiating for future games for a while.
0: Yeah, it would be it would be interesting, but I would like to see what that would look like. Um, my my three things that like if I could only have three of the things off the seven, it would be the expanded playoff that I talked about, and then two things that I kind of was wondering if you were going to pick, and I'm a little surprised that you didn't. But um, we'll start with the targeting thing. So I wrote I wrote in mine. Um, sort of a a black-and-white interpretation of targeting that a lot of people were upset with, a lot of people would be upset with if it was put into practice, but I, I I kind of think it should be structured similar to the way the NBA does flagrant and technical fouls where you get two. If if there is helmet-to-helmet contact, whoever initiated that contact is is flagged, and it's a 15-yard penalty on the first offense. If that player does it a second time, it's... Another 15-yard penalty, and it's an ejection. And the thing that I, that I suggested that's different from the actual ruling now is that there is no interpretation. You're not You're not trying to decide intent. You're not trying to decide if it was a defenseless receiver. You're not trying to decide if it was a defenseless player. You're just looking, was there helmet-to-helmet contact? And if there was, is this the first or the second offense? If it's the second offense, the player is gone. Do you how do you feel about the targeting rule as currently applied and how would you feel about a tweak like that?
1: Um, you know, as it, I think it's going to be very hard to to make this clean no matter what, which is part of what appeals to me about about your idea is you try to remove as much objectivity from it as as you can. And it, it makes me think a little bit um, about the handball role in, in soccer. You know? So that's, that's pretty clearly defined. Ball hits, hits your arm outside of your frame, handball, we know what that means. Now, we've gotten to a point with, with video assisted review where those things are being reviewed and they're still controversial. But at least, you know, and you, if you watch any soccer, you see this with the commentators. They're like, oh, man, that's, that's a tough call. It doesn't look like there is any intent. But by rule, that's a handball, and everyone can at least just move on at that point. So, so I think that one could could have some intrigue for me.
0: So my my justification behind it is, I mean, and everybody talks about sort of that like doomsday scenario where hey, if we don't do this or if we don't make the game safer, the game's not going to be around. But the the people that are making the rules, they they want the game to be safer, and 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 I wrote this. I, I think if they reach a point where they feel like there is there, there are no feasible ways left to make the game safer, to get rid of those kind of hits where guys are getting hit in the head and, and they're not only suffering injuries in the moment, but there's potential for, for health problems down the line. If they can't figure out a way to get that stuff out of the game, they're going to start fundamentally changing the way the game is played. Maybe that's getting rid of punts, like I suggested. Maybe that's getting rid of kickoffs, like they're trying to phase out. Maybe that's getting rid of... God knows what, but if if I think if they get to a point where they feel like there's they they are out of options on how to make the game safer, and they feel like if we don't make the game safer, parents are going to stop letting their kids play it at a young age, and and then the sport's going to die. They're going to start changing the way that it's played, and I think if you know if you take the the the, the judgment call out of targeting, I think I, I think eventually it will change the way players hit.
1: I, I agree. And I mean, I think that's the, that's the intent of the targeting rule, of course, as it's currently in place. But you, when you open up this uncertainty of, oh, well, is there intent? Did, you know, did the player intend to do it? Let's go look at the review. Let's see. No, he didn't. You know, what you're saying is like, oh, well, if you just hammer a guy in the head, but didn't mean to do it, you didn't do it on purpose, then you can't be flagged for it when what they're trying to do is eliminate those blows to the head. So just say, it doesn't matter. Like if you go up there, it's a penalty. And if you get two of them, you're going to be, you're going to have to sit down for a little bit. (laughs) You know, that, I it's not surprising that there's resistance to all of these kind of ideas, you know, and, that's kind of the way it goes with potential changes to something people care deeply about. But you're right. The danger here, and you know, I don't think it's imminent, but it's, it's there. You can't ignore it, is that, well, if you resist all of these changes each step along the way, at some point there's going to be none left to make, and then what do you do? Um, and then you're faced with some really tough choices.
0: My third thing I was – I wonder if that's
1: why – one second. I wonder if that's why Vince McMahon brought the XFL back. Just thought of this. Vince McMahon, so we, some future far off future where football is outlawed, at least the NFL is, that would be great for Vince McMahon. He would have he wants his XFL to be like an outlaw league. Be like, yeah, this is a sport so dangerous that like the guys have to pay us to play it. They just love the game. And then it, that's it. I think that's the play. Anyway. Your third wow. thing.
0: Wow. I didn't even think about that. Uh my third thing was was transfers. And we can we can talk about the, the news of the week, uh, even though I don't fully understand. Like, you you need to be a seasoned lawyer to understand the language that the NCAA used when they announced that they were changing the guidelines by which they judge, um, you know, waiver requests. Or I don't even fully understand. I just know that they're making it more difficult for a, a player who transfers to get a waiver to play right away. And I think it's – it. I mean, it, it, it comes a year after they loosened the the – the kind of bullet points you have to hit to get a waiver, and now they're going back and it's I just think guys should be allowed to transfer when in your first four years you get one you get one transfer you can you can if you go someplace as a freshman and you don't like it or it doesn't work or you get kicked off the team or whatever you can leave you can go someplace else and you get one and that's a free one and when you transfer you can play right away you don't have to sit out a year. And then once you become a grad transfer, then you can do whatever you want because you've graduated and you've fulfilled your academic obligation. But until you graduate, you get one transfer that you can that you can go somewhere and you can play right away and you don't have to sit. I think the sitting thing is, is, is dumb. I think as currently um, applied, I think the waiver process. So like they approved 68% of waivers last year and they approved 70% the year before. So the majority of people who are requesting waivers are getting them, but you're getting situations where a guy like, Tate Martell, um, and you know we don't have to rehash this. Tate Martell goes to Miami and he gets his waiver, and a guy like Brock Hoffman goes from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech to be with his mom who had surgery uh, and it had complica- health complications that arose from the surgery. Doesn't get a waiver, and they've opened up this can of worms for themselves where it it's being judged on a case by case basis, which is probably a good thing in theory, but you know it seems like. Every time there's a new waiver, the goalposts get moved a little bit, and I guess my whole thing with that that seven changes list was just all consistency. And if you just if you just say, "Look, you get one transfer, you don't have to sit, go where you want," it just takes a lot of the headache out of the equation.
1: Yeah, just simplify it. You know, so one of the interesting thing about the those wave, wa- waiver approval numbers is, so you look at it and it says basically over the last two years that in the view of the NCAA, and maybe this is just lawyers doing a good job of presenting those cases, but you're saying, Oh, up to 68 to 70% of the time, there is a legitimate reason for a guy to transfer and we shouldn't penalize him. Well, 68 to 70% of the time, why does it come with a penalty to start with? Why do you have to work back from the penalty and try and get it removed? Um, and, you know if you limit it to one in the first four years and then if you graduate and, and want to do something else fine i think that's that's perfectly reasonable i mean why not start with no penalty for anyone and if and that always kind of existed for to stop a problem that we don't even know really existed outside of the the very early days of football i mean Trevor Lawrence isn't going to play here at Clemson and be like ah oh, you know Two is going to be gone two years from now. I can't go to the NFL. I think I'll play my third year at Alabama. Like, that's just – it's not realistic. Yeah, maybe that might happen once or twice with a guy where they just team hop, but you think about all the logistical problems of that. Um, just what I think about all the times I had to move from an apartment to an apartment, I was like, man, it would just be better if I could just stay here. I would do anything to not have to move. Like, those are all big things. Like, I don't think players are just going to go looking for the best – yearly situation for them they find a place where they fit and they're they're good they'll stay there and if they start looking for a way out it probably means that the fit and all these other things aren't that good so don't punish them for that
0: yeah 100 percent agree and i've seen kind of the um the counterpoint to that that it would make roster building and team construction impossible why how like players already transfer there's a they they have to sit a year anyway and it, it hasn't deterred players from transferring more and more players transfer every year and we have a transfer portal now because of it and there are more players in the portal than there are spots like guys have not been deterred from leaving their current team to go join a different team changing you know their ability to play right away it's not going to to hurt roster construction now i think there needs to be some regulations on what coaches can and can't do in terms of like talking to kids that are that are playing for another team because yep. You know, I've seen a bunch of people that say it it doesn't need to be free agency like the NFL, which is fine. It doesn't because these kids aren't getting paid. They're not signing contracts, whatever. Um, But, you know, the roster construction argument to me is a little like, like, why? Like, I don't it's I don't think I don't think that would happen.
1: No, I mean, roster construction is already kind of a skill and it would just underscore how important it would be. And, you know, and we a lot of these recent changes have been made in the name of, quote unquote, player wellness, you know, whatever you want to term it. um, Well, if all of a sudden keeping guys on the roster, guys that you as a coach picked and thought, yep, they can play for me. They can do the things that we need to do. And I want them on my team. Being able to keep those guys then becomes additionally becomes more important. Um, And, you know, we're already seeing that like the archetype of the, you know, gravel and guts football coach, who's gonna, gonna tear you apart. Every every week, but when you're done with your four years, you know it'll be a meaningful experience, and he'll have loved you more than anyone. You just never never once felt it at the time. Like that model is is gone. Like Dabo's not that way. Frost isn't that way. A lot of modern coaches aren't that way. Um, so by opening by allowing players to transfer, I almost think you could argue that you're increasing player wellness for the most most part. And for the guys who truly end up in the spot that's not a good fit well, they'll get a chance to go and, and try and find a better one.
0: All right, Brandon, um, you got you got stuff that you probably have to do. Um, thanks for joining the podcast and talking for an hour. Yeah, good time. Thank you. It was good. Glad that you let me vent about stuff, and I hope you enjoyed getting to vent about stuff. And God, we need football to come back.
1: <laughs> getting closer. Day by day, issue by issue.
0: Day by day, yep cool brandon thanks so much man we'll talk to you uh talk to you soon we'll be back next week with another with another hail varsity podcast um we'll have stuff that's not the name of it i don't know why i just said that we'll have stuff on hail throughout the week um be checking the website daily and be checking your mailbox daily because your yearbook might be coming soon so thanks guys we'll talk to you next week